This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Psalms is different for us. Here's what I mean by that. We used to just we usually just preach through books of the Bible and there's really good things about that verse by verse. And there's a a discipline for preaching when you do it that way. And I I don't mind it. I I love it, actually. It's really helpful. Discipline, and I I, I can take the text and really learn from it and then be able to try and, and communicate what the heart of that text is. I love it. But this Psalms is a little bit different. And the reason why is I really don't want you walking out of one of these series, of one of these Psalms, and go, wow, that was good information. I don't want that. So these sermons are not going to be informative, if you will. There might be stuff you learn, but they're not going to be informative. The, The point of this series is not information, it's formation. We really want the Psalms to form us as a people. And that the only way that we can do that, let me read a quote from Dallas Willard. He says this, if you bury yourself in the Psalms, you will emerge knowing God and understand and understanding life. We learn from the Psalms how to think and act in reference to God. They show us who God is and they expand and lift up and direct our minds and hearts. The reality of what the Psalms are meant to do is that if we bury ourselves in them, we're going to resurrect from them knowing God more deeply and knowing who we are. And this is important for you. I'm not asking you to just kind of observe what we're going through in the Psalms. I'm asking for us to bury ourselves in the Psalms. The other thing, the only way to do that is by entering into the Psalms. Eugene Peterson has been so formative for me on studying the Psalms. And here's a quote from him in his book, Answering God. He says this, Our habit is to talk about God and not to Him. We love discussing God. The Psalms resist these discussions. They do not provide to, they're not provided to teach us about God, but to train us in responding to Him. We don't learn the Psalms until we are praying them. This is extremely powerful because the only way for us to actually learn the Psalms is to enter into them and to pray them with all the saints. Entering into prayer with all the saints. The reality of this book is much broader than just what God has done here at Redemption Alhambra. That when we are entering into the Psalms, we're entering into the prayers and songs of all the saints throughout history. That this has been a song book and a prayer book for the people of God for a long time. And so here's what I'm asking you to do. is not just observe. And that's why we're only taking about 20 to 25 minutes for, for whoever's teaching, if you will, to give a meditation on it. And I'll, I'll, medita- I'll, I'll, I'll share with you what God's uh, been teaching me as I've been meditating on it. But it's not going to be a verse-by-verse kind of breakdown of that. The other thing is you're going to see at the end is there's going to be a couple of people that will come up and and who have been meditating on the Psalms and they will pray the Psalm, Psalm 8, in their own words. And then there's a song that is picked by uh, by the band that that is is, uh, written as inspired by that Psalm, whether it's a hymn that's been written or one that they wrote like we just sang for, for last week. 
And all of that is for us to not just listen, but for us to enter in, to pray with those who are praying, to sing with the the songs that are being sung, to meditate, and then we're going to take communion together, not by coming forward and taking it individually, but by us passing it out and by us confessing and partaking. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Let's stand together as we read Psalm 8. And here's a couple of ways that you can listen. You can either let me read and follow along, or I would encourage you to just close your eyes and to listen, to practice the discipline of listening. Not just reading, but listening to me read and to meditate on what is being said. Psalms 8. And remember, this is the word of the Lord. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I was, um, I was raised, for the most part, in, in uh, charismatic circles where what is emphasized is experience, what you feel. That's emphasized. And then kind of, uh, if you will, in the longer story, transitioned into more theologically rich and um, and, uh, and just kind of intellectual circles that kind of take and meditate and can see correctly, if you will, those, those different areas. Now, I, I will tell you this. There's dangers in, in us just being swept away into, if you will, emotionalism. But I also think there's extreme danger of us being swept away into intellectualism. I think it's very dangerous. These, these things that uh, I was able to be a part of, these kind of different circles that I was able to be a different part a, a part of, I, I had to adjust, if you will, when I came into more intellectual circles, if you will, by how we could study and talk about things that are so rich and not respond like, what? Like, this is true, and, and just say it with such like deep theological things and just with a nothing on your face, like so stoic. When I, I, when I started to see the depths of this kind of theology and what God was really starting to bring me into, I had the opposite response. It, 
I, I think I became more charismatic the more I learned. The more I realized all that God had done in my life, I, I started to, 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 my heart was leaping. I don't know how we cannot see the beauty of who God is and not be affected by it. I think there's something wrong when we respond in this way. And the Psalms refuse to be just an intellectual book and it pushes us back into this place of going, there should be a visceral response when you see something so beautiful. I remember a few times in my life, but I remember them more vividly than I remember like scripture verses and where they're at. Let me, let me just put it this way. I remember being laying on a trampoline in my backyard and I was praying out there, if you will, and I was just looking up into the sky. I was really young. I was just looking up in the sky and the stars and everything and I was kind of laying there and the Lord was doing stuff in my life and I was laying there and I just felt like a speck. I felt so small. Like, and that's hard for me because I've always been big, right? Uh, I felt so small, like physically small. And that experience for me was, so I felt like smaller than a baby. And I was overwhelmed by how big God was. I remember being in a room with people just worshiping and singing a song. How great is our God? Singing it, and everybody's singing, and it didn't, I don't even know how many people were there. I don't even remember. I just remember sitting there, and kneel, I was kneeling on the ground singing, and I just felt that same sensation. I felt small. I don't even know how to explain it. I just felt like I shrunk like down to nothing. I remember standing in creation, if you will, going to the Grand Canyon at a different time, feeling that same sensation, that same thing of just going, wow. In reading this text, it draws us into not just what we should think about God, but it draws us into imagery and how we should feel. He starts with this, when I look to the heavens, there he is laying, if you will, there he is laying, if you will, in the middle of the field. When I look to the heavens and the moon and the stars in which you have set in place. When I look up to the skies and I see all that you've created and that you did it with just your finger. All of a sudden he's overwhelmed with this and the beginning and the end start with, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The psalmist is focusing on the majesty of God. There's a poetic nature to this. All of Psalms. But if we don't enter into the kind of structure of the poem, if you will, it's hard for us to understand. But I, I want to put this up there. We don't need to dive into it big time. But this is called the castic structure or a, a chiasm. It, it, it's a... Uh, a structure of poetry that's used to uh, clarify and emphasize. And 
Basically, it uses repetition to take similar ideas in a reverse sequence. So look at what he, the poet does. He starts with a benediction and ends with a benediction, A and A. But he also goes to B and goes God's rule, and then C is man's insignificance, and then it goes to man's greatness and man's rule, and then ends with the benediction. So you see this kind of structure of the poem. But you see what happens when we see the majesty and the wonder of God, God's rule, what you tend to feel like is, I am so insignificant. What am I that you are mindful of me, that you care about me? But in the midst of that, when you go, what am I? The very next thing is all of a sudden you emerge greater than you've ever felt. And you realize not only now is this place of man's greatness, but man's rule. This is crazy. The poet sets it up in such a way That not only do we get lost in the majesty of God, but we end up finding who we are. I'm going to kind of show kind of a theological battle rap, if you will. Um, If you've heard of A.W. Tozer and C.S. Lewis, both of them are influential and incredible writers. And they have influenced culture and church for Long time. A.W. Tozer and C.S. Lewis, you're going to see, had very different thoughts about this. And I, I want you to hear what Tozer says first. He says this, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. I love that. We tend, by secret law of the soul, to move towards our mental image of God. This is true not only in the individual Christian, but to the company of Christians that composes the church Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. I love this, and I was actually just talking about the service, and I get made fun of often because I reference this book often. It's uh, it's called You Can Change, and in that they have something called four Gs, and I still use this as a part of liturgy for my life every day. This is something that helps me think through what am I not believing about God, if you will? So when I look at my life and I see that I want to have control of everything, I realize that my view of God is very small. I don't have a big view of God, and I realize that I don't think God is great. Because if I thought God was great, I wouldn't have to be in control. If God is great, if I believe that God is great, I don't have to be in control. Well, the psalmist says the same thing when he starts pointing at the greatness of who God is. Look at, he says, how majestic is your name. You are great. You formed everything. You, by the the work of your finger, you created this whole universe. You put the stars in place. You are great. You are in control of all things. And if I really believe that, I don't have to be in control. So for all y'all control freaks, the depth of your problem is not that you can't find a way to be in control. The depth of your problem is you don't believe God is in control. It's rooted in unbelief. 
Second G is God is glorious. So we don't have to fear others. Notice what he says. He says, you set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Here's what it means. When God is glorious, he uses these babies to conquer his foes. God is glorious. That means he is the only one who is worthy of being feared. And if you believe God is glorious, you don't have to fear anyone else. You don't have to fear others. And if you are living in fear, it's not rooted in all of your foes and your enemies that are your haters that are coming after you. What it's rooted in is an unbelief that you don't believe God is glorious. Fourth, third G is God is good. So we don't have to look elsewhere. Look at how the psalmist looks at the goodness of God when he begins to talk about all that he has created and the way that he has set things into place and how could he be mindful of us and how could he care for for us, Because here's the reality. If you just look at the greatness of God and the glory of God, and if God is not good, then it's scary for him to be great and glorious. That's why he says, who am I that you would care for me? God is good. And if God is good, you don't have to look other places to find goodness. You know when you're running out to try to find goodness in other places? The root of it is not your appetite for other things. The root of it is you don't think God is good enough. So you got to look other places. The fourth G is God is gracious. And if God is gracious, you don't have to prove yourself. And look at what he shows at the end. The psalmist points out that he is so gracious that he would give these that he shouldn't even care for and care about. He would give them, look at, in his graciousness, a crown of glory and honor. And he would place dominion in the works of their hands. And they are over all the things. And they've been created just a little lower than the angels. Only by God's graciousness would he take us, his creation, and make us to rule and reign with him. If that's true, you have nothing to prove. So for all of us who are trying to prove ourselves, the root of that is we don't believe God is gracious. You're like, man, that's good. Tozer was on point. He was. But C.S. Lewis didn't like it. You know, he... He went gangster on it and, and said it a little different. He said, I read a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. I wonder who wrote that. <laughs> By God himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except insofar as it is related to how he thinks about us. Wow, he was passionate about Tozer's statement there. There couldn't be any more conflict. One saying what we think about God is what's most important. And C.S. Lewis is saying, no, 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 no. 
It's what God thinks about us. And the only importance of, of what we think about God is what we think about him thinking about us. <laughs> this verse or this text tends to draw us into both these realities when it lists a lot of things about how God thinks about you. Uh, just, that my, just that statement should overwhelm us with the reality of who God is. Do you realize that God thinks about us? You. He thinks about you and he cares for you. Look at the ways in which he shows that out of the weak and humble, he gives strength against his enemies. He uses the weak and humble against his enemies. We don't have to fear other people. We don't have to fear other, no matter how weak we are, this text shows us that his strength comes through us. He protects us. God protects us. God thinks about us and cares about us. This is the crazy part of this. As I was meditating on this, I got uncomfortable with thinking about what God thinks about me. I, I got uncomfortable. Why? Because so often the thoughts that I have of myself are so out there. I would much rather think about how wicked I am. I would much rather think about how broken I am. Which is true. I would much rather think about how far off I am than the reality of hearing this makes me slightly uncomfortable to think about He cares for me. Why is this so important? Well, if you could put this song in context, I think it will help us that this song was slapping in the face all other religions that believed, and a lot of religions now believe the same thing, that their gods created humanity to be slaves so they wouldn't have to do the work here on earth. Basically, for them to rule and have dominion over humanity, but this God doesn't just love us, he puts us in the highest position above all creation. And he's crowned us. We've been given the highest position in all creation and we have been crowned with glory. The only glory that fully belongs to the only true God. That glory, he has all glory above the heavens and he takes that glory and he crowns us in glory. All creation has been given to us to be steward. God designed big things for us. To steward and rule over all of this creation. All of the animals. All of creation. All to have dominions of the work of his hands. All oxen and beasts and the birds of the heaven, the fish and passes and the paths of the sea. He has given it all to us. Your glory and your value and your worth does not come from your performance. God is the one who bestows and crowns his people with value and worth. The biggest struggle that we have is when we search in other places to find who we are. I hear this often. People need to go on some kind of soul-searching 
to find who they are. They need to go away and just kind of search their own soul so that they can find who they are and just get away and, and just have this time where they just dig deeper and deeper into their soul. Soul searching is a huge thing, but the reality is the deeper you dig into yourself to find yourself, all you find is depravity and brokenness. A lot of people go try to find and engage in the things of the world to find themselves in drugs, in money, in work, in, in creation. They go to creation to try to find themselves. They go into the things that they're supposed to have dominion over to define themselves. And the reality is they get lost and all of a sudden the things they should have dominion over have dominion over them. And the reality of what we see in this text is you will never find yourself in yourself or in creation. The only place you will find yourself is in your creator, in the one who made you. You trying to define yourself or you trying to find to define yourself by other things externally, inside or outside, you will always find yourself lost. But until you get to the place of where you see where your value and worth come from, which is in the one who made you. It's like looking at something that is made and asking it, what were you made for? Rather than asking the creator what the purpose and value and worth of that is. There is nobody but God who can fully show us what we are worth. So here's what this text encourages us to do. It encourages us to lose ourselves in the majesty of God so that you will find your true value. It's kind of the paradox of the kingdom, right? You want to find yourself? Lose yourself. You want to find yourself? Look up into the sky and see how big and majestic and powerful and strong and good and gracious God is. You want to see the vastness of who he is and all of a sudden you start losing yourself in who God is and all of a sudden you start emerging with more value than you could ever find. You start seeing that this God who created everything has value and purpose and a crown and he has given you dominion over this earth. Interesting that when you get lost you panic because you want to know where you're at. You panic. Where am I? How do I get back on track? You're lost. Many of you feel that way in your spirit. Many of you feel that way in your relationship with God. You're panicking because you don't know where you're at, where he is, where things are going on. You, you've just, you're, you're lost and, and you've been searching in your soul and you've been looking in your brokenness and you've been looking in the world around you and created things to try to find it. And here's the encouragement. How do I get found? Get lost. In his majesty, in his glory, in his wonder, in the beauty of who he is. 
And in that, what will emerge is you seeing how valuable you truly are. Isn't it amazing how in the world everything about us is us wanting to bow up and look bigger than we really are. We put on shows. We want everybody to think we got more money, more bling, bigger cars, everything around us. You know, we don't even have it, but we want to wear it so that everybody thinks we got it. If somebody else rises up and wants to get in a fight, what do we do? We puff up. You want, I'm not big, but I'm going to swole. I'm going to get big so that you think I am, right? Kind of the peacock kind of idea. Fluff those feathers out. Everything in us wants people to think we're bigger and smarter and better and stronger. And everything in us wants to prove ourselves. And when it comes to our relationship with God, if we stand before the face of God and try to make ourselves look bigger, we end up just falling. He says, you want to find yourself? Get really small. You want to find yourself? Lose yourself. Because only when you see yourself through the one who created you and only when you see yourself through the one who purchased you, which we'll talk about when we take communion, the one who purchased you and gives you value and worth. As the band begins to play, there's two of our brothers who have written, and over this series, there's going to be different people in this community who are writing prayers based off what they've read. So I'm going to ask Wes and Wayne to come. And I'm going to ask you to posture yourself in a position of prayer. Here's what I'm saying. You can't just say that was good. Either you enter in or you just stand on the outside observing. But I'm calling you to enter in. That means pray with them. That means sing when the band starts singing. That means entering in. If you want to stand, if you want to kneel, if you want to sit, whatever it is. But we're going to enter into this time of prayer. You know, I started a new job and just thinking about like some of the things that was different about the job. And then on Friday, I had a day that sort of felt challenging to me because I drive a lot of this job and I did a lot of driving that day. I drove to Scottsdale, then I drove to Sun City, then I drove to Chandler, then I drove to Casa Grande. Then when I get to Casa Grande, the guy in Casa Grande even, wasn't even home. And I have to wait for him to get there because we got our times crossed and we did what we have to do. And I start to drive home and I'm sort of frustrated. And I'm like, man, all this driving, the guy wasn't even home. And I'm thinking about the people that I met, the really wealthy couple, um, um, two guys that had just gotten married. Um, uh, a Hispanic person and an Indian person. And I'm driving home and I'm thinking about them and then I come down to the church to let some people in that wanted to spend some time praying. And there was some women here and they just started praying and, and I snuck in the back and I just laid upstairs just listening to them pray. And I started thinking about the majesty of God. How big God is. How good God is. And I started thinking about the people that I seen during that day in the context of how big and how gracious and how good God was. And I was thinking in my mind, I'm just going to let them in. I'm just going to go home. And I told them, I'm just going to let you in. I'm going to go home. But I 
found myself just staying there, and I just laid down thinking about how huge he is, and it was just giving me so much peace. This prayer is based off of Psalms A. Oh, Lord, our God, I pray that you remove the blinders from our eyes, Lord, that we may see with clearer vision a deeper glimpse of how majestic you are in all of life, every single area of life, that we will have a deeper glimpse of how majestic you are. That we may see you with a glory that is higher than the heavens, Lord. Give us eyes to see your glory even eclipsing everything else. Lord, help us to see how you've established your strength even through the things that we deem as weak. How in things that we deem weak, you show yourself as strong, very strong, Lord. Lord, as I think about you and I contemplate that you, Lord, the creator of galaxies and universes, the one who set planets in orbit, Lord, when I contemplate that you, that you are mindful of us, us, these little beings that you've created that live on one of the many planets that you created and set in orbit, Lord, that you are mindful of us. So much so, that you have crowned us with your glory and wrapped us in your honor and given us dominion over the works of your hands. Help us, Lord. Help us to be good stewards of the things that belong to you. The children that belong to you. The husband that belongs to you. The wife that belongs to you. The animals, the earth. Help us to be good stewards of your things, Lord. Father, I pray that you let the reality that we are the stewards of what you own not be taken lightly, but sit with great weight on our hearts, Lord. And I pray that the reality that it's you, you are the one whom in your perfect purpose called us as stewards. And that we don't steward in our own strength, in our own wisdom, but in yours, Lord. Father, I pray that this reality brings joy to our hearts, joy that produces fruit, fruit that lifts your name up way up throughout all of creation, and that all of the earth will shout, how majestic is your name, oh Lord, oh Lord our God, how majestic is your name. As I read over Psalms 8 and I started meditating on it throughout the week, I couldn't help but to see it just, just flow into my life. I remember being at Cesar Chavez Park walking around with, with uh, my little man, Adrian. And if you don't know him, he has autism and severe intellectual disabilities. So I'm walking around 
with him. And he starts running, super scared of the water. But as he's running and running and laughing, I look down at the water and I see fish. And I think of the creation, his name throughout it all. And as Adrian and I are dead tired because it's hot, we sit back on a bench and I look up and I see the heavens and how vast God is and big and wonderful he is. And I'm just reminded of Psalms 8. And after that long day, I come home and when I open the door immediately, my baby boy comes running to me and wants me to pick him up. And I pick him up and he gives me a kiss automatically and gives me a hug and just lays his head on my shoulders. And I'm reminded of Psalm 8 through it. So with all that in my, my mind, I sat down and I wrote this prayer. Oh God, my Lord, your name is etched in all creation. As I gazed at the sky, knowing that my eyes are limited and your beauty reaches beyond my vision, beyond my imagination, beyond what my finite reality can comprehend. It is there, it is at that place you have set your glory. When my doubt, which is a foe to your gospel, begins to set in, bringing my walk to a standstill, I'm reminded by the laugh, by the cry, by the kiss and the hugs from my baby boy that this life that I'm living is only possible because you have established your strength in me. So I thank you, oh God. You in me. Really, God, you inside of me. Really, God, who am I that you are mindful of me to make a dwelling within this temple? I've seen but a little of what your fingertips have created, and I marvel at it. I see the magnificence of the moon and the stars. I see the ornamental planets hanging beautifully in your heavens, God. However, Father, I see now the true beauty. I see the beauty of the Son of Man, whom used the earth as his stage. He was born a servant, standing under the works of your hands, only to be resurrected as a king and having dominion over all things. It's Jesus. In him we find rest. In him there's the redemption of all things. There's the restoration of all things, all sheep and oxen, every creature of the land, in the sky and in the oceans, in the seas. It's Jesus. Jesus is the crown jewel. Jesus is the Taj of all creation. Jesus is the creator of all things. Oh Lord, our Lord Jesus, your name is majestic in all the earth. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Remember that the song that we sing now highlights Psalms 8. It's always going to highlight the Psalms that we're covering. So let us stand now and worship together. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.